Hi guys, welcome back to the Two and Two podcast. As usual, I'm your host Angie and today is Valentine's Day. It's the day of love. So I thought, because it's Valentine's Day, let's get on some dating experts. Let's get on some love experts. And all the way from Atlanta, Georgia, I've got Danielle and Hassani Pettiford on Zoom today to share some of their wisdom. Hassani specializes in affair recovery and divorce prevention. And Danielle is a life and marriage coach. So who better to get advice from than the two people absolutely killing it. And they have an organization called, uh, um, a company called the Couples Academy, where they basically help couples strengthen their relationships. And they've got about 17 years working with high profile guests. So your celebrities, your athletes, they've done it all. They've come across some crazy, crazy scenarios. And today they've decided to come on the Two and Two podcast and I really do appreciate it. So. Today, guys, I just want to start with a bit about your journey. So tell me about your relationship and how that started. Well, it was so, so long ago. Um, I was a young, innocent, wonderful Christian woman. <laughs> and I um, I was convinced to go to a workshop. Um, I didn't know the man who was speaking, but turns out it was going to be Hassani Pettiford. And when I went there, I heard him and I thought he was so dynamic and so awesome. And so I went home and I prayed and I said, God, if you will bless me and my ministry and make my ministry like his, mm -hmm. I will donate 10% of everything you bless me with to his ministry. God said, do it now. I said, now, no, I mean, after you bless me, then I'll donate to him. He said, I said, do it now. So I calculated what that was. And at that time, my income was, I don't know, 10% of it was like $9.85. I rounded it to $10. And I sent him an email and I said, I want to donate to your ministry. Um, how can I do that? And he responded and he was just like, oh my God, that's so awesome. I will mentor you. That's how we met. Oh, that's beautiful. Hassani, how was that for you? What's your perspective of you guys meeting? That's exactly what happened. And I was kind of shocked that somebody would want to donate to my ministry. So I was intrigued by it. I was humbled by it. And I'm like, you know, I always believe in mutually beneficial relationships, not one-way transactional relationships. So to me, that $10 was a seed invested into me. So I'm like, well, what can I pour into you? How could we how could we make this mutually beneficial? And so it started off just like that, just sharing information and giving inspiration. And then all of a sudden, you know, I caught her eye, right? She caught my eye. How about that? She caught my eye. Like, like, it can't be true that she found me attractive. That can't be possible, right? It had to be the other way around. But however, we started off like business and then slowly became friends and then just decided to have real conversation. Like, what are we doing here? Like, what's, what, what's going on here? And then one thing led to another. And then eventually we started dating. And after about a year and a half of being together, we decided to, to go ahead and get married and solidify our relationship. Let me just correct something real quick, because I think <laughs> it's important in relationships on Valentine's Day that we be honest, right? So we started dating because my amazing current husband would tell me these stories about all these women that wanted him and would show up at <laughs> hotel rooms trying to get him. And he would, and I'd be like, wow, I, I would say things like, that's because you're influential. That's because, you know, you're a speaker. Women like to see that. They see that power. And then one day he was just like, well, what's up with you? Why aren't you interested? That's how we started dating. That's that's true. That's I caught true. his eye. Let's just be clear, everyone. <laughs> I love you guys, honestly. So, do you know, obviously you started this company. It's a company, Couples Academy, right? Which is 
dedicated to helping couples, especially if you're going through a tough time, I guess, to help them strengthen their relationship. Tell me a bit about how your personal relationship, your marriage, led you to now start this thing to help other people in their relationships and their marriages? Probably like, I don't know, four or five years into our marriage, we were in a state of crisis. At that time, there was just, it was, we were in hell, right? So there was no communication, there was no sex, there was no money, like every issue and problem that we could face, we, we, we dealt with. And so we were in a broken place and, you know, um, divorce was a consideration. And so I remember, you know, one of the issues that I brought into the relationship was my communication, horrible communication, right? And um, in the midst of a lot of fighting back and forth, um, are, you want to tell them what you said, Daniel? Because I think oh, what you said yeah. was a pivotal statement. It was, it was. Things. Because we were fussing and fighting about everything at that time. It was about the money. It was about the babies. It was about the bills. It was about sex. It was about everything that uh, couples typically argue about. And so when sex goes away in a marriage, that's when you know you're in a lot of trouble. And so the sex had gone away. And I remember he was fussing and fighting about one thing or another. And I yelled at the top of my lungs and I said, you declitterize me. And what I meant by that. Sorry, I just have to pause you there because <laughs> when I first heard that, so how I came across Danielle and Hassani was in church um, last week, Sunday. And I loved how open and honest you guys were. And I love that even in a church setting, it's okay to talk about sex and it's okay to talk about these things in the context of a marriage. But that declitterized word, I have never heard it in my life and I just found it so hilarious. I just had to put that out there before you carry on. But you never but, heard yeah. it in your life, but I bet it resonated with you and so many women in the room, right? Because right. it means that you have taken my femininity from me. You have taken my sexuality from me. You have taken my soft and wanting to be pretty and pink from me. You have emasculated me so much to the point that I don't want to be affectionate. I don't want to be touched. I don't want to feel good by you. I felt completely declitterized. Like you removed my desire to climax. It was tough, you know? And mm -hmm. so in that moment, I think that Hassani, it was like a, 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 a rude awakening. Like it was real. Like, oh my God, if I don't do something, if we don't do something, this marriage is going to be over. Yeah. She was talking about how critical and judgmental and opinionated, and I didn't value her opinion and perspective. And so, I, you know, I wasn't necessarily consciously aware every single time I was doing it, but it kept on happening and happening and happening. And a wall was built up. Right. And so I had to tear down this wall and I didn't know how to do it. And when she said at some point, you know what, Asani, you do you and I'm going to do me. To me, it was crystal clear where this was going. And so rather than allowing her to divorce me or me divorce her, I made a decision to divorce me from myself. Right. Mm. I, I needed to divorce myself from my poor communication habits, to divorce myself from my emotional reaction, to divorce myself from my false sense of masculinity that wasn't working in favor of our relationship. And when I decided to divorce me from myself, it allowed me to remain married to Danielle. And so from there, we began a journey to begin to transform our lives and transform our relationship from that point forward. And so what was that journey like? I'm sure there were some hard, hard days. What really got you through that journey? So I know you mentioned especially the importance of you guys praying together. Could you talk to me a bit about why that was so important and why that helped you guys come out of that dark place? Well, we weren't praying together at that point. No. We weren't talking. We no. weren't. No, it was hell. Yeah. Right. 
Um, I think the pivotal thing was she had been asking, let's go to counseling. Let's go to counseling. And I wasn't interested. And like most men, I didn't want no other man or woman telling me how to run my house and live my life and, you know, show up in my relationship. Didn't want to go to the pastor because I don't want our, our, our lives preached from the pulpit, everybody knowing our situation. And so we decided to do something different. Yeah. And I want, and I want to say it's really important that people understand that personalities and upbringing had a lot to do with our conflict and will have a lot to do with each individual's conflict. Right. So, I mean, I was raised with three brothers, my brothers, like I could do no wrong. I was the princess. What I said went like, I never had criticism from them. Of course I wasn't perfect, but they didn't criticize me. So when the man in my life was critical and always had something negative to say, it caused me to build a mental construct in my mind, right? He's crazy, he's missed it. He can't see how valuable I am. I could do bad all by myself. So really when we stepped into counseling, it was both of us having our own mental constructs torn down. You know, he had to have his torn down about his critical thinking and speaking and all the way that he was and how he was brought up. And I had to have my high self-esteem, not self-esteem, but my high mightiness tore down to be able to see the flaws that really were there. And so that was the process that we went through when we went to counseling. We got into some solid counseling that helped us to see ourselves. And that's really where the turnaround took place. So, so how important would you say how different your upbringing? So, so for example, in a relationship, you're coming from one upbringing, the other person's coming from a whole different background of things they think are normal. I know a lot of couples clash heads on this because you might grow up thinking, you know, your mum speaking to your dad a certain way is normal. So you go and now do that in a relationship. And me personally, I'm guilty of it. So how would you say you've had to break down those like things that you thought were normal in your head, bringing that into a marriage? How did you break that down? All have when we say culture, we don't necessarily mean ethnic culture, but a family culture, family tradition, a family marinade that we've been soaked and saturated into. Then we come into a household and we clash. So there was a lot of tug of war going on. And I think the constant investment in our marriage, whether it be some type of intensive experience or classes that we took, like we took a 12 week class mm -hmm. that was just, oh my God, unbelievable. And what it did was it broke down to your point, the mental constructs, the belief systems. And so a part, a part of the divorcing that, that I had to go through and, and, and we had to go through, we had to divorce ourselves from certain beliefs and ideas and values and principles and ways of thinking that no longer served us and served our marriage. And we had to divorce ourselves from those things. And I think that what's important for any couple is that when you go through a process, and I know most people say, hey, I'm gonna get some counseling on my own. Maybe you should get some counseling for you. And then maybe after that, we'll, we'll come together and do it. There's value in doing it together. Yeah. Because when you're drinking from the same well together, you're getting insight, you're you're getting aha moments. You're wrestling mm -hmm. through concepts together, and and in in submitting to someone else's authority and expertise really worked wonders for us and got us into an alignment in a way that if we were doing it on our own, like she comes to me with some information, I'm already off put. Right. But we're not in a good place says, at that time. Right. Right. So I'm like, take your information and go. I don't even value it. But because we did it together, I think that was the key for us. And, and I don't want this to be missed because there was a significant turnaround that happened with Hassani that, you know, allowed me to say, hmm, maybe, maybe I'll try to. And that was that he got wind that something wasn't going to change unless he changed. He started bringing home, you don't know nothing about this, I don't think, but.
<laughs> I've I've heard about it. I haven't seen it, but I've heard about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he would put them in and it was on marriage repair and he would watch them in front of me and girl I would be with my head wrapped up I would be in a book I would be so unbothered and uninterested like I don't care what you do but he was so consistent like every day he would sit down next mm -hmm. to me he stopped being critical I don't know what he was thinking but he stopped saying the things that he was saying to me and started watching these videos and then one day I just started looking up. I started paying attention. I started noticing the change in him, which gave me a different heart. And now I had a willingness to work on us and that changed the game. So for anybody listening, I want the, the takeaway for that to be that it only takes one person to be the change. And then so much can bloom from that. Yeah, cause that, that, was, that was what I was going to say. I saw this couple online as well. They were sort of speaking about they reached, I think, the five-year mark in their marriage. And it was kind of like, yeah, we're done, divorce, it's done, I'm over it. But the, um, so the wife was literally praying every day, praying every day, was the one sort of, lead, I would say, leading the charge to like get this relationship back on track. So I, that's what, that was gonna be my question. Does it, can it be, can it work with just one person trying to push for the relationship to be repaired? Or does it have to be a joint effort? But like you said, it's kind of like he was, you know, leading it and then you sort of, you know, met him where he was at and then you you guys were both able to push forward from there is what I'm getting from what you've said, right? At some point I would have had to reciprocate, right? For us to move forward. It couldn't have been just him the entire time and I'm just a dead weight dragging feet and never be about any kind of change because eventually he would wear down, he would find something else. But I saw the light and any couple that really just has a lot of hurt and brokenness between them and is just looking for some change, if one person starts and gets them in the right trajectory, it can turn the whole marriage around. Yeah, and I think it's important because to your point, there are many people who are watching right now who say, who may be saying to themselves, I'm the one who's fighting for this. I'm the one who's praying for this and I'm not seeing anything in my spouse. And so I would encourage you to not give up, to not cave in, to not quit, to not lose hope, to not think that it's helpless because your consistency is the key to the breakthrough. Like even the Bible says, do not be weary in well-doing for in due season, you will reap if you faint not. And I had to stop looking at her, stop paying attention to her reactions, stop waiting for her to validate what I was doing. I had, I was on a mission and I was willing to do it no matter how long it took, no matter how hard it was to get to the end result. And let me just say this, think about a bank account, right? You make a, a deposit into a bank account and then you make a withdrawal. When you make that withdrawal, what are you left with? Zero. You have for a period of time have to make deposits and deposits and deposits and deposits so that you build up enough so that you could take a withdrawal and there's still enough left behind. I think what happens is in relationships, I do something. Now I want to be celebrated. I want an award. I want a plaque for what I did. Yeah. And I haven't put enough work in. And so you have to go on, let's just say a 90 day daily deposit campaign where you're sowing and sowing and sowing and expecting nothing in return because eventually mm. a harvest is going to come. Wow. Yeah, that's so true. So how much of your personal, you know, struggles do you put into, for example, the couples that you help through Couples Academy? First of all, what sort of cases have you dealt with? What sort of crazy scenarios? Because you mentioned, you mentioned one, I think you said you, you were helping a couple out and you went through their bookshelf and 
Do you want to explain a bit about what, what was going on there? And you saw... <laughs> and so I say there's, there's two ways to really know who a, a person is. You, lo you listen to their, their music collection and you read their book collection, just see what's on their shelves. And so as I'm looking through their bookshelves, I notice that there's books on Satanism and the occult and, 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 and Wiccans and all types of magics and spells. And I'm like, what in the world did I just step into? And so I knew that God put me on an assignment. But yeah, I mean, we deal with all, listen, you got to understand that even though we come from different faith traditions, cultures, geographical locations around the world, there's one thing that binds all these couples together. They go through some type of crisis and pain where they're not in alignment. And it matters little what our ethnicity is, what our language is, what our faith tradition is. People are looking for help. And so we deal with all types of situations from one extreme to the other. So whether it is, you know, they're worshiping Satan, but they want to restore their marriage, which is a ministry opportunity for us, or they're in crisis because there have been multiple affairs on each side. Now, some extreme situations, how about when a spouse cheats on their wife with their biological child? Yes. Or a wife cheats on the husband with, with, his, with her father-in-law? For ye, like all types of things come our way. Wow. People pulling guns on each other, pointing pistols at the children, stabbing, willing to stabbing each other. I mean, there's nothing that death. we have not but seen. But still wanting to repair the marriage. So that's the thing. Wow. After all of the, the worst case scenario that you could imagine, somehow they still want to work it out. Somehow they still want to repair the marriage. And that's that's where you guys come in. Have you ever, you know, got into a specific, you know, couple and thought, I can't deal with this. I'm not equipped to deal with this. Yeah, well, you know, well, from in the yes, very me. beginning, in the very beginning, I was probably that way. Mm -hmm. And I would even give advice. You need to you need to leave because this joker right here. And then two months later, they're holding hands, walking into a movie yeah, theater. Right. And I realized that. Wait a minute. People. It doesn't matter what we say. We're not here to tell people what to do. We're here to guide them through a process Ooh. so that they can figure out on their own with our services what they should do that's best for them. But yeah, I mean, at this point, there's yeah. nothing you can throw my way that I that I think is impossible. Only time I think really it, it's maybe we need to go our separate ways is when there's physical, physical violence and yeah. brutality, I can't things of that. that nature. Yeah, that you know. Yeah, I I won't mm -hmm. work. Anyone who is okay with physical abuse, whether they're doing it or whether they're receiving it, because there are a lot of people that are okay with it. They'll stick around because of the kids or because of the finances or whatever, because of the image. You know, a lot of these people nowadays, there's there's uh, YouTube sensations and they have an audience and they have a brand. And so they'll deal with things because of that. And I, I just can't. I, I think at the end of the day, when people are unrepentant, yeah. like they justify their bad behavior, it's just like, well, what are we doing here? Mm -hmm. You're just living a lie. Or a mm -hmm. lot of times you have couples who are coming and a spouse is gay, right? And so now they're in an arrangement, right? And 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 so the spouse knows what their spouse is doing, but for whatever reason has justified it because of security, because of status, whatever the case may be. So, you know, we'd like to get to the heart of what are we doing here? What what I, I'm not here to... Um, I'm not committed for anybody to sign up for more of the same bad behavior that they came with. If we're not looking for a transformation, then listen, we, we need to have a different conversation. So just to get this straight, so do you, you don't only work with Christian couples, right? You work, like you said, it doesn't matter the faith, doesn't matter the ethnicity. 
Absolutely not. We look forward to people who are not Christians because it's an opportunity to teach them about kingdom marriage and what that should look mm. like. Yeah. Do you know, I basically put out a questionnaire yesterday because it's Valentine's Day and I wanted to get people to send in questions and scenarios that maybe they want to put forward to you guys. So I've got a few questions and scenarios if you guys are ready to answer some. So first question. Um, so this is a scenario. It says, I've been friends with someone for over five years now and they tick all the boxes and they're open for a relationship, a serious relationship. But I don't feel as though I am ready for them as I'm still really young and have a lot to explore career-wise and travel-wise. Should I miss out on the opportunity of getting, to, getting in a relationship with this man that is ready? Or is this God's way of saying I should dive into the relationship? That's a great question. Um, if it's truly a relationship that's worth having that can potentially lead to something, why would you be forced to make a choice? Why can't you have the best of both worlds? Like if we've been friends for five years and yet and still there's things that I want to explore career wise travel. OK, so why would that compromise a relationship? We, If the relationship existed before the romantic relationship, why can't the friendship withstand these pursuits. I mean, I, mm. I've seen couples do that. I, I don't know if we're talking about like relocating to another country and, and for long periods of time, which would put a strain on the actual relationship, or we're just talking about having more experiences before I settle down and say I do. But I, I don't, I don't personally see why you can't pursue both. I agree. And also, you know, I, I tend to read between the lines and think about what's probably not being said. And so when I hear that, I'm thinking, OK, maybe this person still wants to try out dating other people and isn't really ready to commit to this person. And if they're not ready to commit to this person, then I don't think that they should, because they really don't want to put themselves in a position where they're locked into this relationship that they didn't want to be locked into. And their heart is still to be single, to be free, to experience life, all those things. They'll just be in regret. And then the relationship will end early. So I think that that person's probably not ready to step into mm. a relationship that serious right now. And if there's a real friendship, it's just stand the test of time. And maybe that person will be here when they get back. Yeah, that is true. And I think that's something that a lot of young people can maybe relate to, especially now because social media, it's kind of like, some, it's glamorized this whole, you know, living your life, being single, dating around. So maybe when you are presented with someone serious, it's a bit scary because it's like, oh, I have to lock myself down. But I personally think if it's the right person, you can still travel, you can still, you know, they could even help you career-wise as well if they are the right person for you personally. But... That I think is worthy of a pause because we live in a social media world and um, it gives a false impression. It is a false narrative. There's this term called picture perfect because perfection only exists in a picture. A picture, there's no life to it. It's a stale image, right? And I think that we're vicariously living through other people's lives on social media and wish that we could have and be and do what other people experience. But the truth of the matter is when the, when the lights go out and the camera's turned off, they're not even living what they represent. And so it's a false narrative that unfortunately negatively impacts you know, male-female relationships and what that should be look like. It's, true. it's it's hard out here, guys. Nowadays, it's hard because you could be in a loving relationship with someone that genuinely loves you, but you go online and you see, you know, this person doing this for someone, and you start thinking your partner may not be doing enough, but really and truly, everything is not what it seems online. That's all I've got to say on that. Um, another scenario. 
question, sorry. Another question is, do you feel like you need to know how much your boyfriend or husband has or is making, so money-wise, and why? And what does knowing how much he has or is making change? <laughs> now, this is a loaded question, isn't it? I think because nowadays, um, as you said, there's these high expectations, right? You got to have your house already. You got to have a car. You got to be making six figures or I'm not even interested. I think it's the heart of the matter. You know, when Hassani and I met, we weren't bawling or anything like that. We were young people that were trying to hustle and we saw purpose in each other and we said, let's build something together. So, I mean, I don't think that we should be um, hiding from somebody that we want to be serious about our financial status. If we're going to come together, you should know either I'm broke or whatever I got going on, you should know about it. But I think that what's happening in the dating world is that it's a disqualifier. When you tell me how much you make, now I'm just going to disqualify you because you're not making six figures yet. I think the mindset is a little off right now in the dating world. One one of the stories that we hear about is the story between Barack and Michelle Obama. And when they first came together, how she was older uh, in, in terms of her class within university. He was the mentee. Like he didn't have everything that she was looking for in that moment, but she wasn't looking at his status then. She saw the potential in the yeah. future in that man. And so likewise, when we got together, I think you had an apartment. I was living with my, my parents. You had a car. I was riding the bus. <laughs> so if you just looked at where we were financially, I did not qualify or check that box off. Mm -hmm. But she saw something in me, right? And I think that's what you have to look at, the potential. Because when you're in your early 20s, all you really have is potential. Mm. You haven't lived life yet. Now, if you're talking about you in your 40s and 50s still talking about potential, that's a whole different situation. You know what I'm saying? So I think that high value cannot solely be determined by your bank account and your position or job or something like that. The value that you bring to the table is what relational skills, what internal character, what spiritual and integral type of of uh, essence do you operate in? Would you make a good husband or wife, a good mother, father, based upon characteristics? The money's going to come. First of all, the sexiest um, uh, attribute is not her beauty. It's not her body. It's her commitment to her personal growth and development. That's what you should be looking for. If somebody's comfortable and settled and doesn't want much in life, well, you know what's going to happen five, 10 years from now. But if somebody's hungry and passionate and has purpose and drive and wants more for their life and for the union of what we can have together, that's what you should be looking Facts. for. All day long. And I think a lot of times we're checking the wrong boxes in the first place, right? We're only checking, yes, she's got this or he's got that. Yes, they look like this. Yes, they got that. But that's all there is to them. There's no purpose. There's no vision. There's no passion. There's nothing to take them to the future. And so we need to be looking. We need to know what the right boxes are before we start checking. Facts. Mm. That was a, an amazing answer. But just to circle back to the potential thing, as much as I do understand that, but nowadays it's kind of like all we're being told is don't date a man just for his potential because you could be, you know, support or don't date a woman just because of her potential. Like you could be supporting someone for ages, just hoping and praying that they're going to change or they're going to, you know, suddenly become ambitious if they're not ambitious right now or suddenly become something that they aren't right now. How, what would you say to that? Because if I'm dating someone for what they could be, but in my mind, it's like there's no guarantee of them changing certain like aspects of themselves. What, so hear what I said. I said when you're in your 20s, all you ah. have is potential. So I think it depends upon what stage in life you are in. 
you know, your 20s, you're still trying to figure things out. Your 30s, okay, you got your footing. Now you're trying to work and build. Your 40s, now you're flowing and coasting in a way that because of all the hard work. You, so I think each season, each decade comes with a different level of expectation and responsibility. So it's about the, the, the putting it in its proper framework, what we're saying. To your point, yes. Like if you in your 30s and you still trying to figure it out, like you don't have any right. type of security. If you stability, in your 40s and you like, still going to be the joking. next big rapper, okay? <laughs> Right. So, so, so here, here's the reality, right? We talk about two things. People use uh, the word marriage and relationship interchangeably as if they're the same thing. And they're not. When we're talking about your marriage, we're talking about your partnership, right? There's hard skills that you have to develop for partnership. The ability of generating income for the household, managing the finances, parenting the children, taking care of the household duties and responsibilities, planning for your future. So if you're dating, you should be looking for somebody who at least has some of those skills or has the desire to develop them. But your relationship, which is companionship, that's where your soft skills come into play. Your ability to effectively communicate, the blending of your personalities, you know, quality time, recreational companionship. So when you're choosing a life partner, you want to look at those two different things. Would you make a good companion in our relationship? Would you make a good partner in our marriage? And so if you look through that filter, now you can begin to see who's potential for your future and who should be removed from your list. Mm. Okay. That makes that makes a lot of sense. I guess it is it is it does depend on what season of your life you're in as well. That's really important. Um, another question: How does your partner not being God fearing affect your view on the relationship? And does it motivate you to push them? Does it motivate you to push them towards God, or does it push you away? I think they're what they're trying to say is they're with a partner that isn't God fearing. Should they be focused on trying to motivate them, or should they step away? I think that they need to be the light. You know, there's a scripture that talks about that you can win over your partner by being a witness and being the Christian that you're supposed to be. You can't convince anybody to do anything. This is why God said that we should not be unequally yoked, but we step into these situations all the time. So I think it's, you know, it's a tough situation. It's one of the things that is like the bedrock foundation of our marriage is that we submit to the same one God. And so when we are in conflict at the end of the day, I got to I got to rise up. I got to do what God has called me to do. And he does, too. So we're always meeting in the middle and the middle is where God's center is. And so it's it's difficult, but that person really does need to continue to walk their walk and pray for that person that the Lord would just touch their heart and lead them in the same direction. You know, what I would say is that um, we we counsel couples that have all types of differences, right? So there are age gap differences. There are racial differences. There are ethnic cultural differences, all types of differences. But the one difference that couples really struggle with the most is faith-based differences. So when you are a Christian dating a Muslim, as an example, or a believer dating a non-believer, you have to understand that your faith has a culture within itself. It determines how you raise your children. It determines possibly the type of food you eat. It determines your views on war on the world, right? And so when couples are not in alignment, it makes life very difficult. So if you're dating somebody and they are not of a similar faith tradition, you need to have some serious conversations because if you go into a marital situation trying to now raise kids with this person and do life with this person, you're going to have challenges 
So to answer the question specifically, should you walk away or should you pray for them? Well, pray for them first and see if they can come around. And Daniel said, be the light, right? Invite them into church, invite them into that world. And if it seems like they're willing to assimilate and get down with you, then go ahead, move on. But if they're yeah. completely resistant and that's your thing, I'm going to do my thing. Well, guess what? Walk in with your eyes wide open because there are going to be challenges on the other side. of and, and I will say, you know, in my former life, before I found my dream boat, there have been many people, well, not many, but a couple of guys that I had to dump because they were not, uh, they did not follow Christ, but they would follow me into the church. So suddenly they want to go to church on Sunday. Suddenly they want to know when's the next service and that and the third. So you, if you stand your ground, I think a lot of times we do things to accommodate. We lower our standard thinking that they'll come along if I just meet in the middle. No, you don't meet in the middle. You always rise to the top. The cream rises to the top and then everyone will follow you where you're going. So hold mm -hmm. on to the standard. Hmm. That's an ex excellent point. We'll do three more questions because I know you guys have um, a counseling session after this. So this is another scenario. It says, I've been single for a really, really long time. Emphasis on the really. I feel as though I've become hyper-independent. I'm really happy alone, but I have realized that I never feel a spark or really feel much of an interest after a few conversations. Sometimes I think it's hard to distinguish between them just not being the right person for me and me closing myself off and not allowing myself to develop a connection, a connection because I've just become really self-sufficient. Uh, I, I, I feel that one because when you have been single for a while, you do kind of get used to your own routine and you kind of get in the mindset of anybody I let in now will, will kind of just, you know, throw me off. Or I think that's just from past trauma, though, if you are feeling like that. But what, what do you guys think about that? Well, for me, I would say understand what marriage is. Right. Marriage is not an opportunity for you to do life your own way. Marriage is the merging together of two people's lives and creating a culture that's mutually beneficial for both parties involved. And so if you've been single all your life, of course, now you enter into a committed relationship. It's hard being able to you know, share and compromise and negotiate and these types of things. But those are the skill sets that are required in a relationship. And I think the biggest challenge that couples face is that they have a single mindedness, but they're in a different reality. We're married, but still thinking single. So I've mm -hmm. got my bills. You got your bills. I got my credit. You got your credit. I got my friends. You got your friends. We live very separate, independent lives, and we wonder why things don't work out. But the Bible says that a man should leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one. So when the Bible talks about oneness, it's not talking about sameness. He doesn't want us to be the same, but there should be the merging together of the two becoming one. Now, that doesn't mean I lose my individuality, my self-expression. It doesn't mean that I lose the voice and the essence of who I am, but I'm learning how my brilliance can complement my spouse's brilliance so that we can do life together. So we have to make a shift from the team of me to the team of we. So what works for we, us, our, as opposed to what works for me, myself, and I? That's the shift. Hmm. Do you know what I was gonna say actually? In your in both your personal relationships and your marriage, how important is it that you guys, you know, keep separate hobbies and separate, in like, is that important to kind of, you know, keep both your individuality while still being one or, is it really intense on, you know, doing a lot of things together, doing everything together? What's your kind of take on that? 
like we we enjoy doing things together. We are each other's best friends. But yes, of course, we have our own individual interests, our own individual friends. You know, I do girls trips. Sometimes he'll get together with his friend. I think that's just a healthy lifestyle in general. Um, and that might play different out. That might play out differently with different couples. Some couples are more clingy and isolated and all they have is each other. We are a very social couple. So we we have lots of friends and we have communities and we do lots of things together and it works for us. I think each couple has to figure out a rhythm that works for them. I think it's more important to focus on the importance of doing life together than the importance of making sure we have our own separate world. You're going to naturally have your own separate friend. Like she has her girlfriends. I'm cool with her friends, but those are her friends. I don't need to go out to dinner with her when she's going out with her friends. But we don't. But you we, can sometimes. But, right. But my point is, we're not saying I've got to have my own separate life. What we say is we've got to definitely be a couple who do things together because our individual lives supplement our coupled perspective. You, you see what I'm saying? So it's good yeah. to have both if they're healthy. Mm -hmm. Now, if she has friends and if I have friends that we believe are compromising to the integrity of our relationship, then we need to reevaluate what these relationships are. Because every time you get around with your friends, now, now another side of you comes out. So you, Danielle, at home, but Lucretia, when you out in the streets <laughs> with your girlfriend... You know what I'm saying? You know, so, we, I think we all know that's a reality for many. And that speaks to some of the dynamics in that relationship, because if she if if I would have to be Danielle at home and Lucretia in the streets, that would mean that I don't feel comfortable being my full self at home. And that's the thing. Mm. If I can be my full self at home. I don't have to be Lucretia in the streets. I could be Danielle wherever I'm at. Exactly. That's a, that's a fair point. This is actually a question that they wanted to ask about you guys. So someone said, who do you go to for advice as the people that give advice? Which I think that's a really good question, yeah. So from time to time, we reach out for help because we realize that we can't be people who encourage coaching, but we don't have one. Like every leader needs a leader. Every pastor needs a pastor. Every coach needs a coach. And so whether we are finding some new program, some new class, that we're going to invest into because there's you know insight that we get for our own marriage mm -hmm. or whether it's occasionally reaching out to a counselor to sort through issues where we reach an impasse yeah that's important to us yes absolutely and i'll also add that you know marriage as we all know is very challenging and so you know even we have had to switch out our support and our our couples uh, support because they didn't do well or they didn't make it You'd be surprised how many people who are in this industry who talk the talk, but don't even walk the walk. And so, you know, they're your counselor one day, but then they're in divorce court the next day. Mm -hmm. So Hassani and I do as much as we can to stay in some kind of training, whether it's for intimacy, connection in that way, learning more tactics and tricks to help with our couples and just also to keep our marriage strong. It's important to us. We don't want what other people are going through to deteriorate or leak into our marriage and tear us apart. Cause it can. Yeah. Like we yeah. realize that we're not just living for us. We're living for our children. Oh my goodness. We're living for the millions of people who watch us online or show up at our seminars or come into our homes for an intensive, because if we, unfortunately, pressure. I mean, think about it. Think yeah. about a pastor who falls from grace and most Christians, their relationship with God, unfortunately was connected to their relationship yes. with their pastor. Yes. So when their pastor falls, they lose all hope and they begin to act up and go crazy. Well, we realize that we are an example to the world of what kingdom marriage should look like. So we have a high responsibility to make sure that we're in alignment yeah. and do life right. Last thing, I don't want to belabor it, but you know, I, there was a couple that I would always say, now if this couple falls, then there's no hope. 
Yeah. For years and years, they fell. Yes. And we were like, oh my goodness, we can't afford to have even a crack in yeah. the hedge of protection around us. We've got to stay dialed in. And so we just make it our mission to constantly work on us. Yeah. That's what is that not a lot of pressure? Do you feel a lot of pressure? But I guess it's responsibility, yeah. It is a lot of pressure, but the pressure isn't like, oh my God, we're you know, we're struggling. So the pressure to make it work. Thank God we're in a good place. We're blessed. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a great companionship, great friendship. We serve the same God. We honor God. We have fun together. We like each other. So we're blessed in that way. But yeah, there is pressure because I mean, every day isn't a sunny day. We go through things too. And we just gotta keep, you know, keep it right, keep it tight. I remember one day, we it was years ago, we went to a restaurant and we had our four girls with us and just doing us at the church. And so we're all eating. And that day we, you know, we're praying together over our food in the center of the restaurant. And everybody, everybody looks good. Everybody's everybody looking dressing. good, dressing neat. And so like a day or so, oh, oh, at the end of the um, at the end of eating at that restaurant, somebody walks up to us and was just like, Hey, I know you guys. And I don't want to interrupt. I saw you were with your family, but I just want to let you know, man, what we saw, it just gave us so much hope and inspiration. They saw us from our show. So they knew us from our show and they were sitting there looking, observing us the entire, the time, entire time we were eating. So we were and thanking we God like, it wasn't one of them days where we were <laughs> mad at each other or had nasty things to say. Right. Because we're human Honestly. too. So so Honestly. it's like, here's what I learned. It's not how you show up when you're on stage or in front of a camera. It's how you show up when you're not. That's how people judge you. So we want to make sure that we're as authentic and as genuine as possible. And that's also why we don't teach or preach from a perspective as if we're sinless and haven't been through anything. We share what we've gone through so that you're getting the real us. You're not getting a facade or a representative. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that does make sense. And you shared a bit about, so you're, you both, before you got married, you were, you know, not, you didn't have premarital sex before you got married, but you mentioned that in previous relationships, you were kind of, you know, you had an active sex life, sex life. So how did, how was that transition for you from going from a relationship where, you know, you're having sex to now this relationship where you really want to make it work, but you don't want to, you know, have sex before you got married? How was that? For me, I was consecrated for at least a year before I even met Hassani. So it wasn't like I broke off a relationship that I was sexually active and then went into a relationship with Hassani. I had been turned my life around that whole year. I was working on me and God. So it really wasn't anything. At this point, anybody who I was meeting, I was letting them know about my standard. That was the difference. And so it just so happened that Hassani had the same standard as me, which is why I know it was a God thing. Yeah. Oh, great. So it wasn't like you had to get someone on the same page. You were both on the same page. <laughs> so who, who struggled? Because <laughs> And we were together. Yeah. I, we both struggled yeah, we because, did. you know, we really were connected and we wanted to be together. And so we had to um, put certain boundaries in place. You know, we would be hanging out at each other's houses way too late, doing too much touching, kissing and hugging, which leads to sex. And so we were, so many times it was, we were saved by the bell, but we had to put boundaries in place because we knew what we wanted. We wanted to do this right before God. So, but did not having sex before marriage, how would you say that has impacted your marriage in a, in a positive way? Cause you were able to build like a deeper connection in other ways, for example. 
Well, that in that regard, because sex was removed, it allowed us to focus on other more important things, right? So spiritually, we were able to align and come together. Obviously, we had a lot of communication. A lot of times when you bring to, sex into the relationship too early, that's the main focus. That's all you're doing. Sure. So so this this thing called relationship developmental lag. And so sex is the focus. So other areas of our relationship weren't able to develop when we bring sex in too soon. But because we removed it, it allowed us to remain sober-minded. So we developed those other areas, mm -hmm. right? And so once we got married, then we were able to bring sex in and work and work through that. And sex is a language too, right? So like, you know, when you have sex with somebody, you need to learn how to speak the language of their body, right? And so because we focused on communication, time, the intellect, spirituality, we then got married and had to become bilingual sexual mm. and so that was the sexual journey learning what he likes learning what i like what we don't like that was also a journey people cut that whole part short a lot of times especially people who do one night stands right a lot of times it's a one-sided transaction and usually the woman falls short right she was just a vehicle for somebody else's pleasure but when you're committed to somebody and it's long term you have the time to develop that that sexual body language so that the sex is bar none. It, it is overcompensates for whatever you experienced in the streets. I'll say it like. <laughs> and, you know, obviously sex, like we always speak about, is made by God. It's meant to be a beautiful thing in a marriage. How, what's your advice to someone, for example, if they have, you know, been, you know, celibate all their life, for example, and they now enter into a marriage and they're struggling to sort of get that, you know, get a sex drive or, you know, find it okay to have sex because I know a lot of people might feel some sort of shame towards sex or feel like it's a negative thing. So even when they do enter a marriage, they might still feel that shame, like without knowing subconsciously. What's your advice to those couples that may be struggling with that? Well, Romans 12, one talks about a, uh, a change, a, a changed life is the result of a renewed mind. Right. And so I think that you have to have a new mindset and it requires learning. Like at the end of the day, when you soak and saturate yourself into information that really allows you to explore the world of sexuality and you remove those mental constructs that would make you think that sex is sin and sex is bad. Yeah. Out of the confines of a committed relationship, but within that confines, then it's free. And if you really read the Bible for what it's saying, I mean, the Song of Solomon's is a very sexual book. It celebrates sex and lovemaking. So I think that when you learn something new, it requires that you unlearn things that you thought were true to take mm. on a new belief and a new value system. And I think that's critically important. And to your point, there's a whole big stigma that a lot of religious folks have about sex. And, and they bring that negative perspective into their marriage when they should be free to enjoy the pleasures of, uh, of ecstasy. Yeah, you should be free to explore those things that satisfy the both of you without shame. But I do know that it may not even be religious people that put it on you. It could be that you were so free when you were unmarried that you have your own internalized shame about it after the fact, right? So I was going to say exactly what you said about renew your mind. You have to renew your mind and you could actually renew your mind about sex in the word of God, which sex is celebrated. Mm. And this is the last question because it just links to um, the topic of sex. Someone said, how do you navigate different sex drives in a marriage? Mm. Yeah, that's a challenge. That is a challenge. I mean, a tough one. He has a much higher sex drive than I do. Yeah. And how have you, how have you managed to find a healthy balance? This is... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, this Schedules. Is, 
See, at the end of the day, scheduling it, people hear that and they're like, schedule? Like, no, yeah. that's crazy. I don't want to be forced. That seems so stale. Like, I want it to be spontaneous. Well, scheduling simply means you prioritize it. Yes. Don't you schedule dentists and doctor's appointments? Don't you schedule when you go to work and when you come home? Don't you schedule generally what time you eat? You schedule what you prioritize. And when couples don't tend to prioritize things, I'm sorry, schedule things, it doesn't happen. So typically, if it's not scheduled or agreed upon, the person with the lower sex drive really controls the sexual atmosphere of the relationship. And so now it becomes this tug of war, you know, a constant ask and rejection, and it creates a whole lot of dismay and discord in that relationship. And so, listen, there's nothing I can do to change her sex drive or her mind. But if we go in, this is why this is... a uh, tool that we have called um, the, the marriage negotiation worksheet, where you negotiate through things that are mutually beneficial for both parties involved. Yeah. And, and I got to say, I, I love this question because it's so good. And, and we work through this all the time. So um, the, the schedule, Hassani saying that it's not, you know, it's not romantic to have to schedule it. Right. But as a woman, this is something for the women to take on as a woman, you know, when you first get married, it's all about the sex. It's all about the passion, especially before you have kids. Like you have nothing else to do but to lay up and have sex and hey, let's go another round. Let's go. Right. But then when other responsibilities come into play, the children, the work, all of a sudden women, our attention starts to go outwards. It starts to go away from our spouses. It starts to go to our children and their needs. It starts to go to the thinking about, okay, what I got to do with the job or the house or whatever the things that your marriage has blessed you with now become your job, right? And so this idea that you're supposed to necessarily feel hot all the time, we got to get away from that. But sex is absolutely necessary. And so what you'll find that when you begin to schedule it, the avoidance that you're operating in, because you're probably avoiding like, oh my God, in three days, he's going to want to have sex or he's giving me those bedroom eyes. Let me go hide and run away. Let me make sure he don't see me naked today because he's going to want it and I got things to do. You'll stop avoiding. And now you're like, okay, I got it in my mind. Tomorrow at 7 p.m., we're going to get together. We're going to have some romantic time. I know it's scheduled and I can plan my life and my day around. I can make sure the kids are out the way. I can make sure I've gotten all my tasks done and I could go ahead and relax my mind and have sex because for women, it's so much more mental even than the physical. The mental is what turns the body on. So if my mind is outside of my body thinking about all the things that I got to do, how can I be pleased in my body? You might be touching all the right places, but it's numb because my mind isn't there. So you want mm -hmm. that schedule so that you can free your mind and actually be present for those moments when you want to be sexual and connect. And you said you have four girls. Is that right? Um, did that kind of like take a hit for me and for you? Asadi, <laughs> did that kind of take away Danielle's attention? And was that kind of what kind of led to... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Came out, our time was with each other, the resources we invested in each other, our affection was given to each other. We had a very horizontal relationship. Those kids come out, now our focus is vertically down, right? Mm. So time, attention, resources, affection. And so as a man, I, I'm jealous of my kids because they got attention that I don't have anymore. She's so, oh, I'm oh, kissing oh, all oh. over them. And I'm like, why don't you kiss me? <laughs> like breastfeeding, I'm doing all the things. 
Oh God. So, so, you know, the Bible says, let your spouse's breast satisfy you all at all times. That's right. And, and those kids robbed me all of time. <laughs> when I'm breastfeeding. Right. This I'm time. just saying, I'm just saying. So no, children, oh, we love, love them. You, they're guys. a blessing, but they could be a love buster. Right. And so to her point, like with scheduling, you have to, you have to find time find moments to come together as a couple because they have such a demand on your time, your focus, your energy and everything else that you can lose this connection. This is why there's this something called the empty nest syndrome, right? So you have a, a children in the home. If you've lost your connection and now you are just parents to children, once those children grow up and they leave your home, well, you don't have that connection. So now I'm looking at you like, what's up? I don't even know you. I haven't known you in 18 years. And so this is why the love is lost and the emotions are just empty when it comes to mm -hmm. people who've been married for a long time, if they're not intentional. Right. Guys, thank you so much. I know a lot of people will be able to take away some wisdom from that, especially people my age. We're just trying to navigate this world of dating right now. It's crazy. So thank you so much. So really quickly, just if you had to leave one piece of advice to someone my age on how to, you know, if you're trying to transition from worldly relationships, for example, into more healthy kingdom relationships and kingdom marriages, how, what's your advice that you want to leave us with before you go? Well, what I would say is um, there's a principle we live by. There are rules that we live by. And rule number one is in the form of a question. The question is, who do you listen to? The answer is you listen to people who have what you want and have been where you've been. The problem is we typically share our problems with people who share our problems. And so I'm getting no wisdom, no insight, no guidance from you because you're going through the same thing I'm going through. If I want a kingdom marriage, I'm going to find people who live the kingdom marriage lifestyle and I'm going to learn and glean from them because they have what I want. And so I would be careful who you give your ear to and stop following social media. Every hashtag, every tweetable quote doesn't have wisdom in it, right? So you gotta be careful where you get your information and inspiration from. Yeah, uh, I would say raise a standard, you know, raise a standard for your lifestyle um, that aligns with what you say that you want. When I met my husband, I was not looking for him. Um, I had come out of the world. I called every friend that was of the world and I said, listen, I'm doing a new thing. Don't call me. Don't ask me to go to the club with you. I cut off every boyfriend and I said, listen, don't call me no more. And I really was focused on getting, plugging all the holes in my own soul, using the word of God in that time with God. Raise the standard and don't compromise because when you become whole and connected to him, he will supply all your needs. We have to trust that God knows his plans for us. And um, when we do that and cut the world out, it's it's amazing what, what opens up before you. There are so many things on the radar. You don't even know what's around the corner um, of your obedience or you saying yes to the right things. Mm. I need to hear that. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate you taking the time out. And thank you so much for coming on the 2 and 2 podcast, guys. That's been Danielle and Hassani Pettiford from Atlanta. Thank you guys so much. Happy Valentine's Day as well. Happy Valentine's Day. Do you guys have any plans for the evening? Or oh, It's still morning there, right? We'll have a late breakfast today. Yeah, something. Okay. Great. You've got the whole day ahead of you. My day is basically done. <laughs>